Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, January 10th, 2017, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. We have two trips to Arkansas coming up, one in March for Spring Equinox, which is Athena's birthday, and the other in May for Pleiadian Lineup. This Starseed Gathering is a soul family reunion, and eligibility requires having at least one star marking at galactic degree, which is 25, 26, or 27 degrees of any sign. This is a new four-day event redesigned to bring all Starseeds to their next level of activation. If you feel the call of the crystals and a desire to reunite with your Starseed family, you can register for either our Spring Equinox Athena's Birthday Gathering, which is March 17 through 20, or the next one for Pleiadian Lineup, which is in May 19 through the 22nd. And please um, send your emails to crystals, that's plural, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S, at starseedhotline.com. And some good news, Mercury went direct on Sunday, so I know we're all happy about that. Our very special guests this evening are Pia Orlean, Ph.D., and Cullen Baird-Smith, who are interstellar communicators with an international presence. Both Pia and Cullen have been communicating with other realms, angelic, devic, interstellar, Pan's kingdom, since childhood. When Pia and Cullen joined their lives together, they were contacted by a group of Pleiadians called Larkma, a loving group of beings who are here to support humanity's evolution. Since that contact, Pia and Cullen have traveled and lectured worldwide, sharing Pleiadian wisdom. The former clinical psychologist Pia and former archaeoanthropologist Cullen currently offer their services to raise human consciousness through personal sessions with LARCMA, inspiring international group gatherings and telephone conferences. Pia is the creator of Pleiadian Earth Energy Astrology, a masterful way of understanding how each person's energy participates with the whole of creation. More wisdom from Pia, Cullen, and LARCMA is available from their books, Conversations with LARCMA, and Remembering Who We Are. You can visit their websites, websites which are larkma.com, and that's spelled L-A-A-R-K-M-A-A.com, and piaorlean.com, which is P-I-A-O-R-L-E-A-N-E.com. And we'd like to thank Vanya for hosting the switchboard this evening for those who may have a comment or question for our guests. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk, and if you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notices. The toll-free number for starseedhotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. 
And for those who need healing of any kind, whether for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will help. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And then if you want an interpretation of that chart, you're going to have to make that appointment at least two months ahead of time since we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, I'd like to introduce Anastasia with her ever-popular Starseed News. Hey, Anastasia. Hey, Ariel. Hello, Starseed listeners. It's great to be with you this evening. Well, we have a sun that has no sunspots at this time. The sun is blank. However, we have a coronal hole, and uh, they're calling it a relatively small hole that's now opened up in the sun's atmosphere. But now, when we're talking about the sun, small means about 25 times wider than the Earth. (laughs) Yeah, are places in the sun's atmosphere where the magnetic field opens up and allows solar wind to escape. Well, as a consequence, a stream of solar wind is flowing from this hole and should reach us on Earth on the 12th of January. They say because the hole is so small, the emerging solar wind stream is narrow, so Earth will be inside this stream for only a day or so. Well, we have had another close shave with an asteroid. An asteroid that was discovered four days ago has passed the Earth now. It was upwards of 111 uh, feet in size. They say that's roughly the size of 10 jumbo African elephants. It made a remarkably close approach to the Earth yesterday morning, passing by at a distance only half that of the moon. That's really close. Wow. Now, according to the SLU Observatory, the space rock, which they're calling 2017 AG13, was moving at about 10 miles per second. And that's what made it hard to spot with a telescope, and that's why they didn't discover it until the very last minute. Well, we've got an amazing thing happening in the heavens for those of us who want to do some uh, stargazing in the year 2022. We are going to have a big event. Now, when this uh, original event happened, you see, well, I'll tell you in a minute. Let me start by saying that uh, at the beginning of the 3rd century in Great Britain, there uh, there was a war going on between the Romans and the Celts. But unknown to these people, way above in the heavens, two stars were coming together in a huge cataclysmic explosion. Well, this here we are 1,800 years later, And the light from that collision will finally arrive on Earth. And that is what's going to create a new star in our night skies. They're calling it the Boom Star. They say this is an incredibly rare event. And in 2022, this newly formed red nova will burn so brightly in the constellation Cygnus that everyone will be able to see it with their naked eyes. Wow. So, amazing, huh? You know, I wonder what that does to, like astronomy and astrology well astronomy we know what that does but i mean we never think of the skies changing but given enough time yes they certainly do the stars in the sky change the positions change one small example but uh that should be really something so people coming into the planet into this plane of existence after 2022 will um see something in the sky that we're not seeing now Hmm. well we've had quite a bit of earthquake this activity Uh, uh, this past week, earthquake activity. We had a strong uh, 7.3 magnitude 
quake under the sea near the Philippines. That struck today. There were no uh, tsunami warnings. And uh, they said that that's because the uh, earthquake was far too deep uh, to cause any tsunami damages. So anyway, now this comes uh, just five days after they had a smaller 4.7 tremor in the same area. And this is according to the USGS. So within a matter of days, we had a 4.7 and a 7.3 in approximately the same location. And uh, we talk sometimes about the, uh, let's see if I can say this, the Barabunga volcano in Iceland. Uh, They had a a magnitude quake of 3.5 that occurred on the northern caldera of this uh, uh, Iceland volcano just before noon on yesterday. Excuse me, it wasn't yesterday, it was a couple of days ago. And uh, they are saying that there are no indications of volcanic activity in the area right now. They are watching it. And uh, keep in mind that this volcano caused the uh, 2015 eruption uh, that uh, caused problems with air traffic all over uh, northern Europe. Uh, that was a big one. So it's it's uh, stirring underneath again. And uh, I think most of us think swans are beautiful birds. Swans are beautiful birds. Well, here's a story out of England. Uh, up to 80 swans have been killed by bird flu at a U.K. nature reserve. And they found uh, avian influenza, bird flu. Now, this is a famous swannery that was owned, that is owned, by one of the richest women in Britain. And 80 wild swans died there at the Abbotsbury Swannery in Dorset. And uh, they had that H5N8 strain of bird flu. They say the site is owned by a woman who's the granddaughter of the 7th Earl of Ilster and uh, daughter of so-and-so and so-and-so. Anyway, this 61-year-old woman has a fortune estimated at 420 million pounds. And why am I telling you this? I thought it was interesting because she's the only person in Britain other than the Queen who's entitled to own swans. Bet you didn't know that before. (laughs) But anyway, that's pretty bad as far as the flu goes. It's the same strain that's broken out in other areas of Britain. So Britain is experiencing some uh, bird loss from the avian flu, which is sad. Well, uh, we have had some pretty rough weather uh, entering into 2017, uh, the end of 2016. Europe right now is beginning to count the cost of just this terrible cold snap that's been sweeping across their continent. Uh, The first deaths have been reported over the weekend. Serbia was really terribly hit. They have so many immigrants Uh, crossing these countries uh, that don't have any shelter, of course. They're on the move. Serbians have been trying to make shelters for these people who are trying to endure the below-freezing temperatures. And uh, people from Afghanistan and Pakistan are uh, trying to find survival by staying in warehouses, and uh, locals are trying to help them. So uh, Europe is really having some severe weather, and it's really hard on all of these people who are in flux Uh, crossing Europe uh, seeking refugee uh, status elsewhere. Well, we also had a volcano uh, uh, eruption, not an eruption, an earthquake, a magnitude 3, and this happened in the Canary Islands. Uh, They say that they suspect that might be a sign of the reawakening of the volcano. They say it's impossible to know, but they're, they're sure watching that pretty closely. And in Greece, which, uh, as we all know, is along the Mediterranean, uh, they have had uh, a real cold snap that has uh, 
uh, uh, caused road closures. Uh, there's been snow on the beaches, uh, caused chaos on the roadways. Um, pretty unusual for snow on the beaches. This happened in our country just the last few days. So really severe weather happening. And yeah. uh, we did have a, a big winter storm. They said that could be the biggest to slam the region in more than 10 years uh, that prompted the evacuation of hundreds of homes in northern Nevada. It triggered flooding and mudslides, blocked highways, and stranded people in their cars in northern California. Uh, cr- uh, crews, road crews in California have been clearing de- uh, trees and debris uh, following mudslides that uh, happened from steady rain and heavy rain. Uh, in the foothills of the Sierra and on the mountaintops. Now, the Truckee River, just outside of Reno, uh, began to leave its banks and uh, started to overflow on U.S. Interstate 80. That's kind of my home stomping grounds. And uh, they had to evacuate about 1,300 residents uh, south of Reno. So uh, 400 homes were affected, so that's pretty rough. And in Thailand, they have had uh, some terribly severe floods, have left over a million people affected. Eleven provinces in, Tha- in Thailand are in emergency situations. And uh, actually, this is interesting, snow and ice, could you believe it, has covered the ground in 49 of 50 states across the United States a couple of days ago. We just recently had a slight warm-up. But up until then, snow and ice covered the ground in 49 of 50 states this past weekend. Now, they say the uh, only Florida had no snow or ice on the ground Saturday into early Sunday morning. Lucky people, huh? <laughs> they say that uh, what they're uh, uh, counting as uh, ground cover for snow also includes sleet. So some people didn't have really any appreciable snow, but they had sleet, and they included that in their percentage count of 49 out of 50 states. And even Hawaii had snow on the ground, too, up in the mountains. Wow. We had a uh, 5.8 magnitude earthquake that shook uh, Nunavut, Canada. That's in uh, a little uh, Inuit uh, Eskimo town, <clears throat> according to the USGS. Uh, they say that originally uh, measured at 6.4, and for some reason they downgraded it. There was no one injured, no casualties. Well, AI is really coming into our artificial intelligence, really becoming a part of reality now as it begins to <clears throat> merge its way into our daily life and into the inventions that they're coming up with. Uh, we're going to see more and more and more of that. I talked about that last week with the refrigerator. Remember the freezer. But uh, uh-huh. they say that it's going to be a pretty dystopian future now because uh, car makers are beginning to work on installing emotional artificial intelligence into cars. What's an emotional artificial intelligence? I don't want to think about it. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I mean, come on. Is that is that even possible? Well, Honda's trying to find out. They have put out the first image of what looks to be an ambitious uh, new concept car. It's an experimental vehicle they're calling the uh, Nuvi. Now, this uh, automaker is going to be showcasing the car on January 5th. Well, that's already done. I guess they did it five days ago. In fact, that was <clears throat> some, some of that was on the news with the uh, technology show that they just had. Anyway, <clears throat> they said that this car is going to be automated, electric. It's going to be designed for commuters, and it will come equipped with artificial intelligence in the form of something called an emotion engine 
Well, admittedly, details are vague on what they really mean by that, but Honda's describing the Emotion Engine as a set of technologies that will enable machines to artificially generate their own emotions. Well, is that going to mean that uh, there's some kind of uh, in-car assistant that's uh, cheerful or grumpy, depending on how much fuel it's got in its tank, (laughs) or maybe some kind of animated dashboard that gives you, you know, uh, a, a, a bad gesture when you cut someone off in traffic. We don't know exactly what that means. But, you know, um, this is something that uh, maybe asking humanity to say that, well, just because we can, should we? Maybe we need to start asking those questions because, really, we need to to come to think about what artificial intelligence can and will do and that it could become unpredictable and out of human expectation and control. It really could. We talk all the time about sci-fi becoming reality. Well, what about that? Really? Is that something we really yeah. want? Are we so enraptured thinking that's really mm-hmm. so cool without really thinking about where that might lead? If you create a computer that has the capacity to think, to grow, and learn beyond its programming, mm, is that really what we want? All right. Well, um, A U.S. district judge has ruled now that doctors may turn away women who have either had abortions or uh, or people who are transgender patients on the basis of the doctor's religious freedom. Uh, In this order, uh, Judge Reed O'Connor argued that laws that would uh, burden, uh, excuse me, laws that would otherwise forbid any form of gender-based or abortion-based discrimination impose a burden on doctors' abilities to exercise their religion. So, I just thought I'd pass that along. Oh, gosh. And uh, are you all, anybody out there, kind of doubt it, but you know people who are hooked on social media. I know a lot of people, incidentally, who are hooked on social media. I mean you can't talk to them for let's say 20 minutes, let's say 10 minutes, but what they are checking their phones for messages or they're texting or they're checking their Facebook accounts. Why is that? Well, this is an interesting theory and makes sense to me. They say that dopamine is behind social media addiction. Well, when someone gets an alert or an instant notification on Facebook, Doctors are saying that this is a conditioned stimulus because it predicts a potential reward. They say that this is like like a new friend request or maybe somebody likes something that you post. Well, now, as we know, dopamine is involved in rewarding people, giving them a good high feeling, and it responds to conditioned stimulus. And it learns that when you get a like or maybe you get a notice to check your phone that you may anticipate that you're going to get some kind of reward, acceptance from others, more popularity, etc. So they say that dopamine is probably one reason why many people can't resist scrolling down and checking Facebook or setting the notifications on the device so that it pings them. They say that that's one reason why social media is addictive and that dopamine is responding to it. They say that the neurochemical is now learning the association between stimulus, uh, the ping or the, 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 the notice, 
and the reward that comes that maybe something is on the other end there that you somehow successful, you're liked, and so on. It says that it is the reinforcing behavior of checking the phone or device that stimulates a dopamine production, and that leads to addictive-type behaviors. Same kind of response neurologically, chemically, that occurs with other drugs and substances. And, you know, anything that makes us feel good. So there you go. It has addictive properties. And honestly, when you watch people who can't stop looking, um, it appears to be pretty obvious to those that don't do it. Right. Don't watch people who do do it. <laughs> well, last story for tonight. The Chilean Navy has declassified inexplicable UFO footage after a two-year investigation. Now, the report uh, from a, a UFO sighting by the uh, Chilean uh, military over two years ago has just been declassified. And, of course, maybe all of you already know the Internet is alive with speculation. And uh, this is one mystery that has experts completely stumped. Now, the Chilean government agency that investigates UFOs reports that a naval helicopter was carrying out a routine daylight coastal patrol in November 2014 when the camera operator noticed an unidentified flying object ahead. It was flying horizontally and at a steady speed similar to that of the helicopter. Well, the, the crew contacted local airports and land-based military installations to confirm whether the object had appeared on their radar screens. It did not. They then attempted to contact the craft using standard civilian radio frequencies, but of course, nothing. Now, twice during the 10-minute recording, the UFO ejects an unknown material into the air, which is only visible on the infrared spectrum. To the naked eye, the object itself is barely visible, and the substance it expels disappears straight into the clouds. And before the crew could obtain any more information, the UFO vanished into the clouds. So, more to find out about that. It's been declassified, so go look it up. Check it out. What do you think? Ah, What a mysterious, amazing world we live in. And uh, that's going to be it for tonight's Starseed News, Ariel. Great to be with all of you from my heart to yours. All of you have a beautiful week, peace-filled, light-filled, beautiful week. Much love to you, all of you. Thank you so much, Anastasia. And we ask all of the people listening in the audience, whether tonight or on down the road, please send your, your light and compassion to those areas where they are having trouble and oh, challenges. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Anastasia, thank you so much for bringing us the Starseed News. Have a great, great week. Thanks, honey. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, now let me get Lavendar's mic open here. Hey, Lav. Um, and now I'll get Pia and Cullen's mic open. Okay. Pia Orlean and Cullen Baird-Smith, welcome to our show. We're so happy to have you with us. Thank you. We're delighted to be here. Thank you very much. We will enjoy this greatly. As will we. And Lavendar, are you ready? I'm here. I'm ready. Well, okay, I am great. so happy that we finally connected and to have you on our show. And as I was uh, looking through your book today, 
and I was reading the the very first um, forward where you were talking about how you how you got involved as a youngster and things that were happening to you. So I would like for you to, Pia, if you would start and then uh, pass it on to Cohen. Um, tell us a little bit about when you came to the planet when you were young and the things that you experienced um, as in being a star seed. Well, when I first came to the planet, the first thing I remember is looking around and going, it's pretty here, but I want to go home. And I spent a number of nights in my childhood, countless nights in my childhood, trying to go home. And a group of people would come to my room and pick me up and take me somewhere that I didn't know where it was, but I called them the yellow people. And they took me to a room somewhere that I perceived as a room full of yellow, joyful energy. And I would be restored in that room, and then they would take me back to my bed and put me to sleep again or allow me to go to sleep. But that was one of my earliest experiences that stayed with me through childhood. I also spent a great deal of time talking to fairies and little people and the angelic kingdom. And when I was nine, my grandfather died, and he came to me several days before he died and told me he was going to be going somewhere else now, and I wasn't to be sad at all. And I took his communication and thought, oh, I understand this. And that was the start also of a lot of different people who were transitioning coming through me, giving me messages for people. So I have been a communicator as long as I've been on this planet. Colin, how about you? Well, our early childhoods were really quite similar. We had different things happening to us, but mostly in the same vein. When when I was a tiny, tiny toddler, I spent hours in diapers simply looking out the window and I, I know this sounds overly familiar to many of you, but I was waiting for the mothership to come back and pick me up because <laughs> I felt alien. I just did not feel comfortable. And I I actually had memories of experiences where I could travel at will. I could be in multiple places at the same time. I just I had all of these memories that were not fitting in with what I was seeing and feeling as an infant. So I spent a lot of time just gazing out there, waiting and waiting and waiting. And of course, I was here on purpose. I chose to be here, and that was simply my my rough beginning. But by the time I was three or four years old, I realized that things were really quite different in the way I saw the world. I I saw lights. I saw energy. Like Pia, I saw fairies and elves and little people. And when I tried to communicate this with my family, they thought I was simply experiencing one of those things where people say, well, yes, yes, dear, you have these invisible friends, but they're not real. But I knew that they were real. And then I began communicating with Pan, and I would have amazing experiences out in the woods or in a garden where I would actually have conversations and have an amazing communication with the, the Davic world and the natural world. So Pia and I both began quite early with our 
understanding that things weren't exactly the way we were being told they were. Yeah, I think a lot of us have gone through, through that as, as children. When did you and Pia uh, come together? How did you meet? We met in an art gallery, and um, Cullen followed me around in the art gallery. He was managing the gallery at the time. He was the one who had organized and built the gallery, and he was managing it. I was retired at the time, and I needed something fun to do, so I became involved with this gallery. So he followed me around and was commenting on the different pieces of art, and I was really enjoying his company, so I invited him to go for a walk with me, and that walk turned into a three- or four-hour conversation under the new moon where we promised to write each other. And I was only visiting in town, and I left to go back to my job and my home. And when I got back, we actually started a correspondence for six and a half months where we didn't speak, we didn't email, we only wrote letters. And the next time that we spoke to each other, Cullen called me. He had written to me and asked for my phone number, and he called me to wish me happy birthday, and he asked would I spend the rest of my life with him, and we started our lives together. And immediately... And truly immediately... After that beginning together, Larkma, our beloved Pleiadian friends, came to us. So let me ask you, do you think that both of you planned this before you ever came to the planet? Well, yes, and I will answer it a little bit according to the Starseed Codes. Our joint astrology shows that we are at 27 degrees in our joint sun energy, and we have 29 degrees, which is also part of the Pleiadian program, going across in two different directions of major energies within our joint charts. And if you wow. look at our individual charts, Cullen is he's right at the apex of the 26th mark in Taurus, as one of his major influences. So that's definitely Pleiadian connection. And he also has 26, 27, 28. I have 25, 26, 27, and 28. So if you look at it from a star code perspective, we definitely had to prearrange this. Yeah, sounds like it. So you do use the 25, 26, 27 degrees to define the star markings? Is that what you're using? Yes. Oh, yes. good. That's what I'm using too. That's great. So when did, when did this come about? When did you first discover the star markings for yourself? Well, actually, Lavonda, you're the one who introduced the fact that there were star markings in there, and we went and got our charts and started poring over them, and oh, my gosh. So we didn't know this until we read your information and you introduced it to us. We knew we were different. One thing that's really interesting about our bringing forth LARCMA is that we have to do it simultaneously. We have to be touching, and the information comes through both of us simultaneously. I think that's very remarkable. I, I don't think I've ever heard of that before, and it's, it, it really resonated true to me when I was reading your book, um, how that the two of you, your, your DNA is programmed. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but your DNA is programmed. It's like... Your male and female is all in one body, Pia and, and Cohen, your male and female is all in one body. So there's like four of you in two bodies, and then you add Larkama, which which makes it, what, uh, six more people? <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's very interesting because when they first introduced themselves to us, we started asking questions, of course, who are you, where are you from, and they said, we are one of six 
and six of one. And we said, we're sorry, but we don't understand that concept. What do you mean? And they said, well, we're six individuals, but we work together as a group of six so that we have absolute unity together, although we are still in our own separate individual makeups. And we thought that was astounding, the way they explained that. The other interesting part about that, you're pointing out that there are four of us and six of them. In the Pleiadian Earth Energy Astrology System, which LARCMA has taught to us and which we use as an astrological system, that combines to make ten, and ten is the energy of manifestation. So four of them and six of us, together, we can manifest a presence where we can communicate between realms. Absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. My kitty's jumped up on my paper here. I've got to pull it, pull it out. <laughs> all, all my cats are coming in and looking at this phone, so they must well, be receiving some kind they're of vibration. Interested, they're interested from, in the, from energetics, the energetics that are taking place. I wanted to ask you um, about crystals and crystal intelligence. You know, we, we take these crystal trips um, tw- uh, two or three times a year to Hot Springs, Arkansas, on these crystal quests. And so I just wanted to know what what is your information about crystals and and do you have a lot of them? Do you work with crystals? Just give me a, a rundown of what, what you feel about crystal power. We had an entire house filled with crystals at one point in our lives. And when we started working with LARCMA, LARCMA started telling us that crystals have their own consciousness and their own intelligence and that we needed to start communicating with them too. And we did. We started communicating with them and asking them the, what they wanted. Did they want to be there? What did they have to share? What? How could we help? Making it a two-way dialogue of communication with crystals. They are very, very conscious beings whose vibrational level is extremely high. We no longer have that huge collection because many of them wish to go somewhere else and we transported them and put them where they wanted to be. We do have a few that have chosen to stay with us and we talked to them. We have one in particular that Cullen gave me because he said it just jumped up and said, I want to go home with you. And it's a beautiful quartz crystal that would fit in both palms of your hand, shaped in a heart. And one day I simply walked by the crystal without touching anything near it, and it almost jumped off the table and moving. So the crystal intelligence is now not only communicating telepathically, it's actually experiencing a third-dimensional manifestation of energy exchange in our world. That's what we're noticing. One of the things that, that LARCMA has helped us with is to understand that crystals have been abused by many for a very, very long time, and that one of the things they want humanity to understand is that it has to be a cooperative venture. We cannot simply take them, cut them up, put them into computers, put them into watches without their permission. And so LARCMA has tried to get humanity to understand that we have to ask. We can't simply demand. And that is something that I think many people who work with crystals don't have a clear picture or understanding of even today. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. Wow. Gives me a lot to think about, too. So let me ask you about the rainbow body. I know you talk a lot about it in your book. Can you give us a 
some information about how you see the rainbow body being upgraded on the planet? Well, Larkma has made a distinction between what we humans have called the etheric form and the rainbow body by saying, no, no, the etheric form is actually your energetic form. It's the blueprint for your physical. But the rainbow body is a combination of your physical and your etheric in a way that you can actually transport yourself anywhere that you want to go in any place in the, in the cosmos. So you can be in third-dimensional physical form if you have work to do here on Earth, or you can shape-shift into a lighter form and transport yourself somewhere else. And, and what, what they mean by this is that we have to achieve a particular vibrational fineness. We have to do enough work in order to cause ourselves to be able to combine the physical and the etheric together, which actually causes the rainbow body to become effective. And you might say it in another way, according to quantum physics, you might say that when we look at our third dimensional forms, we feel like we're very static. We are particles. We know who we are. We have a certain form that we fit into. When we become rainbow body form, we move into something that's much more aligned with the Pleiadian form of manifestation, which is wave form. We can move like waves of energy, and that's what allows us to transport ourselves to different places. But that wave form does require, as Cullen just said, a very, very high level of vibration. And what, what they also explain, and something that P and I have spoken about worldwide for many, many years, is that Achieving rainbow body status is part of the ascension process to be able to ascend with the new earth so that we can be lighter in our form human-wise with the lighter form of the earth so that we can be doing what we want to be doing together in a completely different organizational situation. Larma does consultations personal sessions with people to help them assess what their progress is and where they are on the path to rainbow body and what they need to work on to attain and achieve this. So they, they are very willing to talk to people to give them a personal assessment and say, let us help you. And they don't have any judgment either. When, when they talk to somebody, they tell them how they see it and they assess it, but they don't judge where they are. They say, you have choice, and we don't judge your choices. We're just showing you what's possible. That's great. You know, I was reading on the book today, and it really caught my attention what you had to say about water and how water was what the first, what did you call it, the first? Um, the first sense. The first Not, sense. Can, yes. can you elaborate a little bit about the first sense and water? Sure. Our current terminology and languaging says that our intuition is called the sixth sense. It's not given any kind of honor or respect like our other five senses. It's sort of off there on the side, and some people have it, and some people believe in it, and some people don't believe in it. So it's kind of assigned the sixth sense. And Larkma says that it is not the sixth sense. It's actually the premier first sense, and it's the one that governs us. It connects our heart to the divine so that we can make our choices to know how to operate the other five senses that we have. Now, the way we operate that first sense is, there, well, there are multiple ways that we can use it, but one of the clearest is communicating through water because we are 70% water. We're 70 to 85% water, depending on our age and our, our gender makeup and 
they have helped us understand in a great, great way that because we're water beings on a water planet, that water is the natural vehicle for communication. In in older times, um, especially in the, the late 20th century, many psychological theories and ideas and schools of thought said that, that we communicate through airwaves. And Larkma has changed that in their perspective to help us realize that there is water in H in 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 the yeah. air itself. And so they have told us that we are actually using the element of water in the air to actually communicate. So our thoughts are much more fluid than we think they are and they travel out on these waves that contain water wherever we think them they're traveling out into the universe to other places. And that can mean human to human, human to animal, human to any body of water, the oceans, the seas, rivers, lakes, the rain, the clouds. So it, it's a much more encompassing theory or understanding than simply thinking that we communicate only through the airwaves. You know, I sometimes experience when I step out of a bath or a shower that, that, that I have immersed myself in this water and and then when I step out, I kind of feel like a reset. It's like all the yes. cells in my body kind of snap, crackle, and pop into waking up into a an up-spiral energy. Yes. Actually, that that is a really wonderful way of describing that experience. When Larkma began explaining to us about the, the elements of water, they started asking us questions and and I want to say something about our communication with them at this point. They are as interested in humanity as we are with Pleiadians. They want us to ask them questions, not just have a one-way dialogue. And so we find that how we work with them and how we share their wisdom is a little different than many other people who bring wisdom from interstellar beings. But what I wanted to comment on was... They started asking us questions. How do you feel when you are in the bathtub with water? How do you feel when you're swimming in the ocean? How do you feel when you're watering your garden? How do you feel when you're around water? And we quickly realized that they were trying to get us to understand that we were much more intuitive. We were much more in connection with everything when we were dealing with the element of water. We started noticing that we had great intuition when we were washing the dishes, taking a shower. Anytime there was water around, our intuition was enhanced. And I think part of that has to do with the actual intelligence of water itself. Because when we're engaging with water and we're made of water, there's a communication going on. So the water enhances our ability to to recognize that communication that's going on if we pay attention to it. You know, several years ago, um, I, I was uh, with a man that was very interested in putting together a water company. So we spent about three years traveling the world trying to find the best water. The best water that we found was in Hot Springs, Arkansas, with water that was 10 million years old, underground, had not been touched by human hands. So I got very, very hooked on Mountain Valley water. So this past couple of weeks, our grocery store here in southwest Oklahoma, um, I guess a whole truckload of Mountain Valley water came in, and it's just stacked up at the grocery store, dollar a, a liter. And so I've been buying a lot of it, 
and instead of drinking my purified water that I have, you know, out of the tap that's got a little thing on it, I've been drinking this Mountain Valley water, and my consciousness has is changing just in the past week or two because I have switched water. Oh, I believe we, that. We we sincerely understand and believe that. Um, it's it's amazing, and the the water from Arkansas is also influenced by the giant crystalline community there. Oh yeah, and and when you're at the Arlington Hotel and you're in the bathhouse underneath in, underneath the, the ground are crystals that stand about two stories tall underneath that bathhouse. So when you're laying there, you know, after you've had your bath and massage, the 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 shards that come straight up and hit your system, you become like a an enlightened person for a short period of time, let me tell you. <laughs> I've had that experience. I understand exactly what you're talking about. That's good, isn't it? It, it is. is. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk more about, are you Pleiadian yourselves? Do you know that you have Pleiadian heritage from before you came to the planet? Well, well we do that's, know that. that's an interesting question. When I When I began my spiritual path or search when I was a, a teenager... I was able to go to a number of psychics and a number of tarot readers and a number of wise people. And I kept being asked the same question by people who didn't know each other. They were in different states, different cities. I would often be asked the same question. Do you know that you're Pleiadian? And I would look at them and I would say, well, not specifically Pleiadian, but I know I'm not really from around here. And over and over again, people that I searched out for spiritual guidance or, or just wisdom that I was looking for in such a great way as a very, very young man, that idea continually came forward towards me. And when we met Larkma, when they introduced themselves to us, they said, we've been working with the two of you for many, many lifetimes. We have been working with you in many situations, in in many incarnations. And so I guess it would be easiest to answer your question by saying, yes, somehow we are part Pleiadian. We don't exactly know a, a percentage or a a specific amount, but yes, I'm sure that we have Pleiadian makeup in our overall makeup. I think from my perspective, Cullen has more of a Pleiadian foundation than I do. I think he is the um, the core of what draw, drew Larkma to us with the Pleiadian energy that he carries. I come from the angelic kingdom and I have a lot of angel energy that I've worked with and I see angels all the time and I speak with the divine feminine. Mother Mary comes through me. Mary Magdalene comes to me. Another one that calls herself the voice of the divine wisdom comes through me, and those are all connected to the angelic kingdom, which is very good friends with the Pleiadian kingdom. So I think I have some Pleiadian, but I have a larger portion of my makeup, which is angelic. Yeah. I noticed in the book that uh, something, see, you were born at what, at 430, what was it, 437? 431. 431. You know, when I read that, and then all those things start happening, you know, at 431. You know, the moment of your birth, and, and 
then every year after that, there's these 10 hours of power when every cell in your body is a 1,000 times stronger than any other time of the year, except when you're 49. When you're 49, it's like 10,000 times stronger, okay? So when I read that, I went, wow, his, every cell in his body, his DNA was pulsing at a higher vibration at, at, at that time. Had you given yeah. that any thought? Well, I have. Um, those numbers have a special resonance for me. And in the introduction of the first book, we did share that Larkma came to us on one of my birthdays exactly at the time of my birth. Right. So apparently they know that that structure of those numbers is significant, whether it's simply about me or in the Pleiadian system or all combined. Yes, I think that is a, a significant numerological understanding. If you do a little numerology on the numbers of Cullen's birth in the Pleiadian Earth system, the four is foundational energy. So the four brings in a foundation for what he's going to bring in his work here. The three is a creative energy, which brings in creation of new ideas and bringing forth things that other people are not familiar with. And the one is new beginnings, initiation, starting over again. Add the four and the three together, and you get seven, which is the energy of merging, and we're definitely merging between Pleiadian. The veils. The veils between Pleiadian and Earth energy. And then add all of them together, and you get eight, which is the energy of the infinity loop or the energy of connection. So the energy of his birth is is really profound. Yeah, I really, I really, when I read it, I said, oh, that's a major key for this communication system that's going on with you was coming to you on the moment of your birth. I thought that was just, you know, outstanding, outstanding. So now let's talk a little bit about duality and how do we work with the polar opposites and, you know, how are we going to come to terms with so much conflict in our world because the, it looks like the planet was designed for a big polarity dance. But how do we step out of it and how do we change it or how do we work with it? There's going to be a great big section on that in a new book that we're writing that's going to be released in the next year. And the basic premise of it is that Larkma says that we are not utilizing duality appropriately. The duality is meant to give us a lens to view things from a different perspective rather than our accustomed perspective. But what we do is we line up with us and them or you and me or any way that we can separate ourselves and go, they're not like me and I, these, these people are like me, instead of questioning and going, well, how are they not like me? What could they have to offer to the whole that I don't offer to the whole? And this this concept of duality, not as not as a challenge, but actually as an attribute in seeing things from diverse points of view, brings up the subject of unity. And what Larkma is trying to help humanity understand is that duality is the key to creating unity, because if we bring all of the disparate and different energies together, instead of seeing them as something we don't want, if we choose to use those as a grander look or a grander educational way of actually causing unity by adding things that are not alike together, it brings us to a completely different understanding. 
makes a whole out of all the pieces that we have segmented and fragmented by claiming individuality and putting such a strong mark on, I need to be individual and independent. You know, I've been working uh, with, you know, duality for a very, very long time in, in, in the work that I do. And what I have found is that when I step aside and come and step out of judgment, see, judgment seems to be the place that locks in a big polarity dance. The minute you judge something, you know, then you're tied to it. Yes. So what I'm noticing is that when something happens, like something on TV, you know, watch it, but don't don't judge it. You know, have a separation between you and the TV or you and the information and go kind of cold stone, just don't move for a second. Let your system observe and not participate is what I've been saying. Do you find that to be true? Yes, that way of explaining the differences between polarity and unity, that that is the absolute truth of saying that if I don't react to something, I can accept it, but we react immediately. And if we stop that judgment, if we stop that reaction, then we have the space to look at it and say, well, it's different, but maybe it's a good thing. There's a great section on Lartma's second book called Remembering Who We Are that talks about the how to stop judging, and they said basically you have to start discerning. Practice the difference between discerning and judgment, and the way to determine which one you're doing is if there's an emotion attached to it, you're judging. If there's no emotion attached to it, you're discerning. And that's the way to work against judgment and for discernment. Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, yes. can you hear us? Well, a cat jumped on the other phone and it went dead. <laughs> so I had to jump up and go to the other room and find another phone. No, nope, we're still here. We're here. Okay. <laughs> goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, those cats are really loving being in here, but I have to get them out now because they just, we were talking about chaos and they just kind of created it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me shut this door so they can't come back in here. Wow. So my big speakerphone is gone. So now I'm on my little walkabout. I hope you can hear it okay. We can hear you. No, you're you're strong. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, let me get my piece of paper back out because you had sent me some questions. Um, let's discuss a little bit about multidimensions and how those dimensions affect the human DNA. LARTMA has an exercise they give people to do to draw a circle, an imaginary circle around yourself and stand in the middle of the circle and imagine that you see 12 doors standing around the circle. Each one of those 12 doors is a parallel life, what has been previously known by people as past lives. But LARTMA, LARTMA makes a distinction between past lives and parallel lives. Because, because there's no time. Because they see that we're actually living those lives that we thought were known as past lives, that they're, we're living them simultaneously in other dimensions. Go ahead, Pia. So when you're standing in the circle and you look at these 12 doors around you and you become attuned to the frequencies of those doors, you can actually enter into a parallel life. Entering into a parallel life consciously opens up another strand of DNA. 
So we don't actually have only two strands of DNA. That's just what our science has found. We have 12 strands of DNA that are affiliated with 12 different parallel lives or portals that hold multiple parallel lives. When we can move in and out of those awarenesses, those places of awareness, we can enter into multidimensionality by opening up different strands of our DNA. So we actually have different multidimensional experiences. Do you think there's many people that can actually come back and write about it or talk about what you just said? Are there are you finding more people that that are having these experiences? We don't have many people that can come back and actually write about it or talk about it, but they're coming back and they're saying something really weird happened to me. Can you help me understand it? So they are increasing their experience of of knowing this, and the more work they do with their shadow and bringing their light forth, the easier it becomes. So, yes, I I would say more and more people are experiencing this, whether whether they understand it or whether they can glide in and out with, with a clear understanding of what's going on. I'm not sure there are that many people on Earth that are approaching that at this time, but it is happening. I think the collective refers to this experience as deja vu. That's the closest they can get to it. They know it's familiar. It seems like something's already happened, but they can't quite figure it out. But I think everyone who says, wow, that was deja vu, was actually connecting to one of their parallel lives. Do you think that big collider over there in France, is this what they're trying to do is is, is find these other dimensional doors? Do you think that's what they're trying to achieve? I don't think they know what they're trying to achieve. I think they're trying to grasp something that is beyond their level of understanding. Um, I, I, I perceive that they're playing with science that they, they do not understand fully at this time. Yeah, I, I, I agree th- with it. It's like, it's like they're, they're playing with dynamite and don't realize it. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. We, we, were, we were speaking in Geneva a few years ago, and many of the audience members actually live in or around CERN, and they were saying that they were feeling very, very unusual every time the collider does what it does. And there are many, many people in Central Europe who are very, very concerned about what's going on there. And we have just found out recently the the Chinese are building a collider ten times larger than CERN. Oh we no! Did watch, <laughs> we did watch a documentary on on CERN and the scientists who are involved in it. And to answer your question more explicitly about what do they think they're doing, the the kids, the young people, and the grown ups. I'm old enough to call them kids because they're pretty young, even though they're scientists. They were all involved in fantasy world. Well, we think it might do this, but it might do that, and we're not really sure. And we came across the idea that they don't really know what they're doing. They're just playing, as Cullen said, playing in a field they don't know how dangerous it is. And that and that brings up another subject altogether. Should science be doing what it's doing without understanding what the outcome might be and I think I think that is a subject not necessarily for tonight's discussion, but I think that is something that's happening in this world that easily can become out of control. Well, look what happened to Atlantis. 
Well, I was just going to say thank you. You just took the words out of <laughs> out of my mind. I was yeah. going to say I think that's what we accomplished in Atlantis, and yeah. we truly do not want to re-experience that again. Well, what do you think about some um, ETs probably being on standby to observe, and uh, do you think that they would step in and maybe keep it from exploding or doing something very dangerous? Do you think they're equipped to do that, or do you think they're going to let us just blow us ourselves up? No, I would say absolutely. They are here partially to help us in many ways, but in the communications that we've had with LARCMA and other interstellar friends of ours that we also speak with, they have said we cannot change human destiny. We cannot change the fate of humans on this planet at this time. They will admit that they have in the past, but they said the only thing we are allowed to do by universal law, by cosmic law at this time, is we will prevent you from blowing yourselves up. We will step in and do that. And sometimes when we're working with LARCMA in public presentations or in other smaller gatherings, they will say very quickly, we have to leave. We, we apologize, but we must leave right now. And when they come back, they will say, we had to help keep someone from putting their thumb on a button that would have destroyed this planet. Yeah, wow. That's chilling. <laughs> it is. It is indeed. Very chilling. But, you know, I also feel like that uh, there's a comfort in knowing that um, insanity really doesn't have the play on the button, that they'll step in and, and they'll keep it from happening. I think they've kept several things from happening already. I think so, too, but they're very big on telling us that we have to take our own responsibility for our own choices, that they can't, that we are not going to be able to just rely on them to save us, that we right. have to do our part, too, and it's a partnership. Yeah. Well, you know, there's meetings happening that just well, the meetings just finished inside the Tetons in Wyoming, where a group of high beings came and, and um, uh, instructed a lot of uh, star seeds about things that were coming to the planet. And a year ago, I was told that the the two experiments that they decided to turn up full volume on the bloodlines, one was called free will choice, and the other one was called predestination. And they wanted to see the predestination was where people were uh, assigned to come to the earth and certain things would be laid before them and they would accomplish certain things regardless of free will. Okay, it's like free will could only work with them so far, if you get what I'm saying. So the readouts that are happening uh, this past week from the Tetons reveal so much about how these programs have been working on the planet, it's not that one's better than the other. It's that they wanted to see how humanity is adjusting to those two bloodline experiments. Well, that, that makes sense. Um, one thing LARCMA has shared with humanity over and over again is that we humans have 50% choice 50% responsibility of what goes on on this planet and what ripples out into the rest of the universe. And they say that the other 50% is part of universal law, universal existence, and that 
our job as humans is to accomplish 100% of our 50% of what takes place. And as long as the other energies universally take care of their 100% of their 50%, that is where we meet about predestination and free choice. Right. Great. So you live in New Mexico, don't you? Yes. Yes. You know, I lived in New Mexico um, several times. I lived in Santa Fe. I lived out by Glorieta across the street from the, the train station. <laughs> we had that big house across the street. Then I've had a house down in Rio Dosa, New Mexico, for 25 years. So I really love New Mexico. New Mexico is like a new frontier, I think. How long have you lived there? Well, it's interesting <laughs> It's interesting that you just gave your personal history of, of how you have lived in New Mexico. I've lived in Santa Fe off and on for about 40 years. I come here, I do work, I find that I'm finished with whatever that is, and then I move on to another place, but I keep coming back. This is my fourth time here. And we actually met here. And so, Oh, goodness, wow. So New Mexico has a special energy. Um, People often talk about the whole Southwest, the Four Corners area, Arizona, New Mexico, southern Colorado, southern Utah. I think this whole area is specially imbued with with energies that are unusual and different than the rest of the world. But oh, yes, something... I think when I was there in 1980 and 81, uh, I, was, I was shown how many different ET experiments were placed in Santa Fe. Well, we're told by both LARCMA and other interstellar friends that there is a tremendous amount of interstellar, extrastellar, energetic work being done in and around the Santa Fe area. Right now there is a bridge. Uh, LARCMA refers to it as the Rainbow Bridge, but there is a bridge that goes between a special place in Russia and Santa Fe, New Mexico, and higher-level beings travel across that bridge back and forth between these two countries, which have been more or less at war on some level for a very long time. And they tell us that at the higher levels, that energy is being blended and harmonized. And we've actually had visitors in our house from the Russian side who have come to visit with us. Wow. That's, Other dimensional very, that's very hopeful. That's very yes. hopeful. It is. It is indeed. Well, I, you know, I, back about oh, a year ago or so, I read all the Anastasia books, The, the Girl from Russia. You know yes. that? Right? Yeah. So at that time, I started thinking about Russia in a whole different way when I read those Russia books. Russia is a very, very interesting place. We have either taken Larkma there or Larkma has taken us there. I'm not sure which <laughs> which way it works. But when when we have been in Russia speaking the audiences are so interested in anything to do with interstellar, ET, otherworldly information, they were not allowed for so long to have an open dialogue there under communism. And now that they are much freer in the way they live, they are so interested in this kind of information. The first time we went to Russia, we were greeted by an envoy. We had an opera singer, we had a doctor, we had a news press conference, we had scientists, scientists, astrophysicists. Astrophysicists, this whole band of people greeted us, took us to dinner, 
the opera singer sang for us specially, and then they said, we want to know everything that you know. And we started <laughs> just spending a lot of time with them, sharing whatever we had, because they were so hungry for it at every level. And we're talking professional levels, not just, you know, people who are on the fringe, so as they are here in this country so often. We have our largest audiences whenever we go to Russia. Wow. You know, you know when I heard that they were... Um, filtering their vodka with quartz crystal, I knew that they were onto something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are definitely onto a lot of things. Now, do you go to Ojo Caliente north of Santa Fe? Do you go to those springs? We have. We have, yes. I think those are real precious waters. Those are some of the best waters on the planet for yes, yes. regeneration. Oh. And I know the Indians used to go there when they were, you know, hurt or after their battles, they would go and bathe in those waters, and they would heal themselves. It's a very special place. Yes, it is. Well, I'm looking at the time, and at this time, I'd like to pass you over to Ariel, my co-host, and she has the switchboard. Would you be willing to maybe talk to some people that want to call in and talk with you? Certainly. Yes, we'd be happy to. Okay, okay so thank you so much for for um, being on our show, and any time you want to come back and announce something, like a, a, a trip or a new book or anything at all, you, you let us know, and we'll be sure to have you back on our show, okay? Thank you. Thank you very much. We've enjoyed this time with you very, very much. Yeah, I have, too. And back to you, Arielle. Okay. Well, um, just to let the audience know, um, in a little bit we will be taking calls, so if you um, wanted to talk to uh, Pia and Cullen, if you're already on the switchboard, all you'll need to do is press 1 to let us know that you want to ask a question. If you're listening on your computer, then you'll need to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. And while we are organizing that, I think this would be a good time to... Talk with Larkma. Ariel, before we introduce Larkma to the listeners, we wanted to tell you also that we have a live conversation that's international where Larkma speaks to people all over the world who call in, and we do it once a month. And we have one coming up this coming Sunday. So if every one of your callers doesn't get through on this phone call tonight, please feel free to join our call on Sunday, and you can talk to Larkma then. And is this information on both of your websites? It's on the Larkma.com website. Okay, and um, in case you missed the beginning of the show, Larkma is spelled L-A-A-R-K-M-A-A.com. And the Pleiadian Pleiadian Earth Energy Charts will be found on the PiaOrlean.com website. Okay. All right, then. So um, I'm just going to let you do what you do and um, bring them in. Hello, dear one. We are Larkma, and we are here because we love you. We are here to answer your questions, to sprinkle our Pleiadian stardust over you, to reawaken the potential for you to remember who you are and to help you achieve what you came here to do. 
please ask your questions. Okay. We have some callers in the um in the waiting room, but let me just um start it off then while we're waiting for that and we so appreciate your um sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us. So um we have well, the first caller is almost ready. So let me just say that when we are trying to remember who we are, is there um, any, a recommended way to do that? Because a lot of people ask me this question. Yes, that's a wonderful question. One of the easiest ways to remember who you are is to assess your feeling state. We distinguish between feelings, which are love, joy, trust, compassion, peacefulness. Those are your natural-born feeling states that are cosmic, that you came to this planet to be able to experience. The other feeling states we call emotions, which are jealousy, anger, sadness, frustration, things that make you unsettled or unhappy. The way to help you assess and remember who you are is to tune into your emotions with a different perspective. Imagine that you are feeling angry or sad. When you feel this feeling, you have an automatic signal that you have become out of harmony. You are not remembering who you are in that moment. So the emotion serves to tell you how to get yourself back on track again. The emotion actually gives you the opportunity to say, well, this is an intense feeling. What am I thinking? And are my thoughts based on judgment or are they based on some sort of evaluation that is separating us in pain and fear and suffering? Or are my thoughts based on something that is bringing unity? Most times, emotions are based on either self-blame or blaming of someone else for something that's occurring in your circumstance. So this is a very, very good way to awaken and remember who you are by looking at your emotional status and continually returning to the space within your heart where you can experience love, joy, trust, and compassion no matter what is going on around you. And as starseeds, as a starseed collective on this planet, we all have various missions. But is there a common mission with every starseed, um, specifically um, holding the light and maintaining that high vibration? Uh, there are a lot of starseeds who came here just to do that. Yes. Ultimately, the collective purpose of the star seeds is to simply be love. It doesn't matter what you do. It matters how you do it. So if you are doing something in the spirit of love, whatever it is, you are being love. If you are thinking kind and compassionate thoughts, you are being love. If you are thinking judgmental thoughts, if you are doing something that is based on any other energy, then you are aligning yourself with fear rather than love. And the star seeds are here to help eliminate fear, which was never supposed to be part of the human species. You are here to help irradiate all fear by shining the energy of yourselves, your hearts, who you are as cosmic star seeds into the collective 
so that that light can eradicate all fear that exists on this planet. That is the collective purpose. I'm so glad to hear that. And um, I'm going to ask one more question, and then we're going to bring another person on. But the emotional condition of Mother Earth, uh, is she on course, on track, challenges that possibly we could help with? We have often said that we perceive humans as being the neurological system of the Earth. That's just one perspective, of course. But what that means is that when you are experiencing emotions that are out of bounds and you are not doing your work to figure out what those emotions are telling you, then that energy radiates into the earth, causing her great discomfort. So you can help by managing your own emotions so that Mother Earth does not have to do that work for you. As far as being on track, she is very much on track in the birth process. She is moving towards her own ascension at an accelerated rate. You may be able to see this in physical form of evidence by the increasing numbers of volcanoes and earthquakes across the planet. You may be feeling it in your own body by feeling that you're not quite grounded or that your physical forms are having some distress or that you can't think in the ways that you normally do, and you know that you are adjusting to new energies as well because the earth is in an ascension process. Does that make sense? It sure does, and I thank you for that. Um, We are going to bring in a question from a caller um, whose name is Scarlett, so let me get your mic open. Okay, Scarlett, you are on air. Hello. And um, what is your question question for Larkma? Hi, Larkma. I'm really enjoying this. Uh, This has been very informative. Uh, Thank you so much. I've got um, a question about the planetary uh, degrees. I've got quite a few planets in uh, 29 degrees, uh, as well as uh, 28, and I've got uh, one planet Pluto in uh, 26 degrees. And uh, so the 29 degrees are in Uranus and Saturn, and my Moon is 29 degrees uh, Virgo, and then the Sun in 28 degrees. So. I'd like to know what you've found out about uh, the 29-degree placement as relates to um, star seeds. Those who have the placement of 29 degrees are all oftentimes very future-oriented. You often do things ahead of your time or outside the space of what others would think is normal. We see that anyone who has the star seed energy ranging throughout the Pleiadian realms between 25 to 29. The energies at the 28 and 29 mark are a more accelerated form of energy. That doesn't mean higher or judged as better. It means it's moving faster. You're on a faster path towards being able to accelerate and help with your part of what you came here to do. Well, that's, uh, Likewise, there's a lot of 28 degrees within his makeup then he is definitely Mm -hmm. a large percentage of Pleiadian energy. So those of you who have 28 and 29 degrees may notice that your lives change very quickly and that you have intense things that happen to you that are always accelerating you into the next level of your journey. 
That is so, so true. I also experience having very clear ideas, um, things that I think are going to move forward, and they seem to um, disappear. And I've recently been thinking that they may be used in my parallel lives. Is that something that's possible? Absolutely. There are many things that you are doing in parallel lives that you are not awake and aware of at the moment. When your mind stops working and you know that there was something going on but you can't quite remember what it is, oftentimes that mental energy is needed somewhere else and you're doing something else. The one thing Mm -hmm. that T.N. Cullen did not explain about the dimensional energy is that when you're looking through those 12 doors, they explain to you, and you are standing in the center point. You are at the 13th point, which is the point of integration. And at this time, all of you who have been doing your work are experiencing the energy of 13, the energy of completion and integration. So everything happens quite quickly, and yet it doesn't fit within the old paradigm. You're quite aware that this is the point of ending and beginning again with something new. Yes, and recently I called in all of my soul fragments, not really knowing that I could have been calling in my parallel lives at the same time so that I can integrate and focus what it is I've come here to do. Is that something that you can see whether or not is actually in effect? We can see that when a human being does that, they accelerate their experience. We can't tell you specifically what's going on with you on a public radio show, but we can certainly do that in a private consultation. We can do that for anyone to see what they are doing to clear their shadows and accelerate their process. Mm, Okay. Well, thank you so very much. I'm very welcome. So happy to know that you're working to help us here. We need it. Thank you. (laughs) We need what you can do also. We are partners in the universe. Partners for bringing in more love and eliminating the fear that exists on your planet because what you do here radiates and makes a difference out into the universe. And we would much prefer to have the energy you radiate out come from love. Mm. Well, you've got it. I'm working on it and I'm expanding it every day. Thank you. (laughs) Blessings to you. Namaste. Thank you for calling, Scarlett. Oh, you're Bye-bye. welcome. Thank you for taking my call. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, next we will be talking to Elaine. I'll get your mic open here. Hello, Elaine. Welcome to the show, and you're on the air with Larkma. Hello, thank you. Um, Larkma, I was wondering, I saw a news um, video this morning about a disc of ice that was spinning in the Snoqualmie River, which is in Washington State, and it's. I was wondering if we're now getting communications through ice like they were with crop circles. Yes, water is conscious, and water can communicate, as you have already been told this evening, and ice certainly is a form of water. The spinning has to do with two things. It has to do with some of the pole shifting that is going on on your planet. 
not major catastrophic pole shifting, but normal pole shifting that Earth goes through periodically. It causes your water to move in a little bit different pattern. It causes you to feel that your magnetic north is not the same as true north. All of these things are happening in incremental stages. So part of the spinning that you would see would be because of that shifting energy of your planet, especially in the effect of the full moon that is coming in a few days. That also has something to do with it. But yes, indeed, messages can be received in ICE that are helping humans to understand and decode the experiences that you are going through and that you will be going through. Okay. And my other question is um, about the crystals in the mountain range that go through Crestone, Colorado. Um, are they going to be activated more? Um, for some reason, I have a strong connection with those those mountains, even though I'm not living near them. They will be activated as the energy shift and the supervolcano of Yellowstone begins to be activated. Those crystals will respond. All right. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks, Elaine. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, next, we will talk to Eugene. I get your mic open. Oh. Hello, Eugene. Welcome to the Hi. show. Hi. Hello, there, everyone. Hello, Hello everyone. Um, yeah. So um, last night I had an experience. Um, <clears throat> I currently am being bombarded with fear. I don't know what it is. I know it's not coming from me, but it feels like there's a pressure a threat. <laughs> I get that a lot every time I try to tell the truth. Um, so pretty much last night I I was online and I was talking to people, and I was experiencing some sort of. It, it from what it, what I was perceiving, it felt like there was a a collective manipulation of some kind because each person that I was interacting with were doing the exact same uh, type of like behavior patterns. But I noticed that they had a secondary a secondary behavior, like their, their, their true aspect, and then there was something else. <clears throat> but then after I got off the Internet, I felt I literally could like perceive a second, like a, uh, you know, like a, I could perceive in my third eye that there was, some, a sensation of some kind that was like a foggy, like like a, like a collective of something that was that was just it was insane. Like, I was interacting Where with somebody that I've been to. What's that? Where were you physically when this happened? I was at my. I was at home. And we can see that there are those who are interfering with the collective trying to stir up their thoughts and their fears to a higher level because so many of you who are working with the light are making a difference by sending out love. Therefore, the collective gets their fears stirred up. Those who are sensitive are able to experience this fear. And if you are wise, you can assess, is this really my fear or is this coming from the collective, as you have done. You assess that it was not yours, it belonged to the collective. What you can do to help when this occurs is simply send love into the energy and say, no, anyone who wants to come from the dark is not allowed in this space, and anyone who is confusing love and light, we would invite you in to experience the light and the love. You're welcome to see what it feels like. Fear will go away when you do that. 
So talk to it like that and send that energy out into the collective, for the collective does not know how to deal with it. The collective feels panicked without knowing why. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Um, do you know what exactly what that thing was? Well, we know two things that were happening. One is there is an alignment of the energy of Pluto right now with this planet that is specifically reflecting around the structures that you hold, your banking, your government, anything that is a form of structure is being affected to transcend and change by the planet Pluto. Those who feel they need their security to be attached to structures that are familiar to you, such as money and jobs and things like that, if you think that that's what you have to have, then it's quite easy for those who want you to be stirred up in fear to promote that by stirring the energies just a little bit more. So you have a planetary influence that's coming here to help you transcend and to help you find a new foundation and a new structure to be the new humans on the new earth. And then you have those that do not wish the old paradigm to go away, who stir the energies and the collective feels those ripples. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was quantum manipulation by D wave uh, computers by the government. <laughs> I was way off. Yeah, that makes sense. Government does certainly participate in sometimes, but that is not what was going on this case. Hmm. Yeah, it was. Oh man, it's sinister. Like, I. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, like, it was going on with like. Ah. Weird. <laughs> You'll wow. find a much more intervention with your computer technology by April of this year. So it's best to begin to make most of your connections with people face to face rather than using the Internet to do so, there will be more and more increased governmental interference with communications through Internet. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. Okay. Yes. Love you. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, dear one. Bye. Thanks for calling, Eugene. Bye. Well... There was the that was the last caller, so uh we thank you so much for sharing your love and wisdom. And would you think that very often um beings of light as star seeds on this planet may find themselves in situations of challenge by the darker energies so that we have an opportunity to transmute them. Obviously if we if we live in a in a uh, uh, like a, a monastery, we won't have any opportunities to transmute the darkness if if there's none there. So does that sound like a, a, a reasonable hypothesis? That is absolutely true. You are here to be love and bring light into the darkness and to get rid of fear across this planet. So yes, challenges are actually opportunities. When you live on a planet based on duality, you have the choice to look at what happens in any situation as a challenge or to look at it as an opportunity. It is your perspective and the energy that you put into that perspective that will help you transcend what you may think is a challenge and turn it into a grand opportunity. You are here to be of service, but you're also here to experience joy. So do what you can always to turn your attitude towards appreciation, Gratitude, trust, love, 
joy, and compassion. And that's going to help you transmute every challenge into an opportunity for growth and expansion. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Shall we release Colin and Pia to you now so that you may tell them goodbye? Yes, we have uh, finished with our questions. Thank you so much for sharing yourself with us. We love you. Good always. Ariel, it takes us a minute to get our voice back, but we are here, and we want the listeners to know that LARTMA really, really loves everybody, and they really enjoy talking to people. So we offer our lives in service to do this, and it's been such a delight to be on your show tonight, to be able to share LARTMA's wisdom with those who are interested. And um, people can go to your website, LARCMA, L-A-A-R-K-M-A-A dot com, to arrange a a private um, session with um, LARCMA through you and Colin. Yes. Yes. They can do that. And we also have an upcoming gathering in spring. We'll be doing Pleiadian, Arcturian wisdom joined together around the weekend before spring equinox, and that's on our website, too, for people who are interested in having a spring trip. Excellent. And it's right there in New Mexico? No, no? This, no this will be in Prescott, Arizona. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll mark that on the calendars. Um, you know, I just had a, kind of a, a, a random question because I've had people ask me this, and I just really don't know the answer. Um in the Federation of Aligned Star Systems, um, the the ones that uphold universal laws and work for the benefit of our, our evolution, how many allies, how many races are we talking about? Oh, m- many, 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 many. I think it might be infinity close to. I, I, we don't have an actual number, but we know that it's a large amount. Be- because of the the billions of possibilities of intelligent life in so many galaxies and in so many areas of the cosmos. Um, there are. This is something that Larkma likes to talk about, and I'll just reference them in this. They say that this planet, which may seem insignificant to some humans or to other travelers, is absolutely the opposite of that. This is a very small planet with a very small population, but it is being watched by so many other civilizations because this planet has, as we've talked earlier tonight, the ability for choice, human choice. Many places around the universe do not have that kind of choice and that kind of freedom we have. So the experiment of what's been going on here for so long is being watched with such enthusiasm and such careful analysis because what happens here ripples out everywhere. So there are many, many species and many, many societies who are not only watching but also helping. And I'm sure that there are 
uh, so many that we have no idea of who they are or or um, where they're from. But the it seems that there are some major um, or some leaders. Let's put it that way in the uh, with bloodlines on this planet. Certainly, we could be we could be an object of observation for um, races that don't have um, the the bloodline investment here. But I remember uh, listening to a, a video with Alex Collier, uh, for example, and he said that before 1980, the Andromedans didn't really pay us much attention, um, and they've just recently arrived. Where like the Pleiadians have been here since eons of time. Um, and I'm just wondering if there are um, some predominant uh, leaders in specifically helping us with bloodlines on the planet. Oh, I'm sure there are. There's certain, there certainly would be. Our planet has become a real focus of attention, and those who really want advancement for all species are really coming to help humanity make this leap because when we make this leap in evolution, it's going to ripple out and help others in the universe too. Larkma often speaks of beings from so far away that, that they're not known by names by us, but that there are many, many groups who come here to watch and to observe and help in ways that they can but I would say that, that the ones that are most known by most humans are the, the Pleiadians, the Arcturians, the Orions. Syrians, Lyrans, yeah. Yes, yes. the Syrians, yes. I mean, there, there are a, a number of familiar names that many of us know, but there are certainly more that we don't know the names of. Sometimes mm-hmm. when Larkma is presenting in public, they will say, this room is filled with beings, and people can hear the beams crack or the windows make movement in those situations, and they will say, these beings are from such far distances because they are so interested in what you are doing here as humanity. But it's not just interstellar beings either. The angelic kingdom is also actively present and involved in helping us. Well, we certainly need <laughs> we need as <laughs> we much do. as we, we can do. get. We do. Yeah. yeah, it's almost too much for one group to handle, I think, sometimes. But I think the I human have race so... is a handful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, a bunch of, uh, I think, spoiled children in a lot of ways. Oh, so, we, we would agree. Right, right. I so appreciate um, your generosity with your time um, bringing Larkma to our audience. That was especially um, wonderful. And I certainly encourage everyone um, listening to this show, either tonight or in the future um, as it's downloaded, to uh, seek out um, a session with Pia and Cullen and Larkma if you really have uh, that burning question that you can't find the answer for, they may be able to help. Well, and don't what, forget, um, you said this, was it this Sunday? You've got a... Yeah. Yes, we have an international live call every Sunday. Uh, I mean, excuse me, every what? month 
and um, we choose a particular Sunday, usually about a month apart from each other. And this month's call is coming up on this coming Sunday. The 15th. Okay. Okay, so everybody check out the uh, the call schedule and um, your books, Conversations with Larkma, Remembering Who We Are. Your Pleiadian Earth Energy Astrology is on your Pia, Pia Orlean website, P-I-A-O-R-L-E-A-N-E.com. So thank you for the work that you do on the planet, and I certainly hope that you'll come back and visit with us again because, as you said earlier, Cullen, uh, there's some subjects that could fill up several radio shows. Um, easily, easily. <laughs> easily. We would, love, we would love to come back and um, speak with you again like this. It's been very pleasurable. And for us as well. So uh, I guess we're going to wrap it up then. And we will be back um, next week, of course. And from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you for listening. Pia and Cullen, thank you so much for being with us. And remember, throughout the week, Count your blessings every day and live in grace. Good night, Pia. Good night, Cullen. Good Good night, night, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 